Welcome to Seen and Heard in Edmonton, the podcast about bloggers and podcasters in the capital city of Alberta. I'm your host, Karen Unland, and joining me today is Sydney Lancaster, a visual artist and writer who serves as president of Visual Arts Alberta Carfac, which has been getting its message out in part via podcasting. Welcome. Well, thank you. Seen and Heard in Edmonton is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. ATB Financial is making it possible for us to build this network to help podcasters create and businesses succeed. And you'll learn more about that later in the show. All right, Sydney. So I creeped your profiles. You've been... Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, it's all I've good. Been, I've been stalked. <laughs> yes. You've been a professional visual artist since 2005. Why, why did you choose that path? Well, it was something that, to be honest with you, that I'd always wanted to do. Um, and having been told over and over and over again um, that there are so many barriers to becoming a visual artist and you'll never make any money and you have to do something practical. When I went to university, <laughs> I did something practical. I took a degree in arts and literature. Um, <laughs> but that's actually served me very well in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, it was, I finally got to a place in my life personally where I could devote the time to a practice, which is very difficult to do um, because life is, is about, you know, paying the rent and paying the bills and raising your kids and, and, and working and all of that stuff. And um, a lot of times there isn't enough time in the day, there isn't enough energy in the day, and there isn't enough money to actually devote to a practice. So I feel very fortunate. I, I'm, I'm in a very privileged position now, and I recognize that, um, that I have been able to work on my practice pretty much full-time since 2005. And just to give our listeners a little sense of the kind of work you do, um, can you describe maybe, I don't know if you want to describe it globally or if you want to choose a, a work like Nest or something that to, to say what, what, what does a Sydney Lancaster piece look like? Uh, well, that's okay. I think maybe the best thing for me to do is sort of talk in broad strokes about sure. what I do because a lot of my work tends to be... Um, sort of project-based in the sense that I, I go into a set of ideas and explore them through various media. So I, I work in um, I have a drawing practice. I uh, work in photo-based media. I do some printmaking. The last few years, I've been doing a lot of large-scale, um, ephemeral, site-specific work, um, sculptural installation, that kind of thing. Um, and, and in broad terms, what I am really intrigued by, and I think this comes out of my training in literature uh, and in critical theory, is I'm, I'm really interested in ideas of memory, the way we understand our relationship to the world around us. So I call myself jokingly a closet phenomenologist <laughs> um, because what I'm interested in is, is how we hang stories on the world around us. That's a fundamental way for human beings to interact with the world. So I look at things like, as you mentioned, the, the nest work. Um, that body of work was was around ideas of home and longing and loss and, and mourning um, and interrogating the idea of, of why 
as human beings, we look at that object in the world and write all of these stories onto it. Why is that? Why do we look at a nest and we go, we automatically go home, safety, sanctuary, all of those things. And you're looking at this thing and it's made of mud and twigs and garbage and, and bird poo and it's exposed to the elements and we see them fall out of trees and we see them fall apart. So there's this tension between the emotional investment in an object and the reality of the thing. So it's those kinds of hooks that I, I look at in my work. Um, the most recent work that I've been doing, um, I was very lucky to have a uh, residency out at Grossmore National Park. Mm. Um, this is co- in Newfoundland. In Newfoundland, the west there, coast yeah. of Newfoundland. It's mm. gorgeous out there. Mm. Um, and I did a collaborative project with my partner who is um, a structural geologist. He teaches Ooh. at the U of A. So we brought our two worlds together for that project. So it was art meets geology. Uh, which was really exciting. And uh, we spent five weeks out there, built um, a big ephemeral installation uh, at a place called Greenpoint, uh, going out into the Gulf of St. Lawrence that was built on the falling tide and taken away by the tide as it came in. And we documented all of that in video and still photography and all of that stuff. And then that, again, was about telling the story of a place and understanding the place um, as a prairie kid. Right. How do you understand the Atlantic? How do you understand the sea? How do you understand those things? But more importantly, how do we understand our place in relation to the landscape and, and deep time? How can you wrap your head around millions of years? Mm-hmm. You're staring at a cliff and you're looking at all of this strata, these layers and layers and layers and layers of rock. Right. Limestone and shale and limestone and shale and limestone and shale and this big wadge of conglomerate right in the middle of it. And you look at that and and we sat down and figured it out. There's there's one piece of it that is about, you know, 12 and a half centimeters across would have taken roughly 167 80-year lifetimes to be deposited. Wow. On average, roughly. How do you wrap your head around that when yeah. you're looking at that little bit of that, just that little section of rock running up and down the cliff face? And that took that long. And then there's the cycle of the tide, which happens every 12 hours. And the, you know, the, the, the cycle of the sphere is the sun and the moon and <laughs> human lifetime. So all of, all of that stuff, all of those stories and all of those, those different types of time came together in that place. And so it was a way to talk about our our relationship to all of that and also the human propensity to want to carve up the world in various ways for various reasons, um, for scientific analysis, for political reasons, right. for tribal reasons you know there's us and there's them we're seeing a world right now where there are a lot of fences Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there are a lot of walls there are a lot of barriers that are being built and hopefully those barriers and those walls just like the installation that we did in newfoundland uh will be just as ephemeral (laughs) so there's there's some of that underlying there too Um, but yeah, it was an interesting way to bring science, science and art together. And that particular location was um, chosen 
as an international boundary between two geological periods. So the work wound up being grounded in science. That's we actually amazing. found that, that bed that marks the division between the Cambrian period in geological history and the Ordovician period in geological oh, history neat. and built the sculpture on that line. Wow, wow. So... So part of the reason that I know about your work, actually the whole reason that I know about your work is because you have a blog and you have a social media presence. And right. I think people often feel of artists or think of artists as people who are very um, interior for the work until the work is displayed. So did you have to, maybe that's just a wrong interpretation of how artists work, but why do you have that robust social media presence and, and blog? Well, for a number of reasons. Uh, at, at one point in time, I, um, I worked at uh, Latitude 53, Contemporary Visual Culture. I was their, their admin uh, for a period of time. And that was a great introduction for me personally to the world of social media and what that means um, for the cultural industries and what that means for visual artists in particular. Um, so I started looking at that and, and got myself a Facebook account because it was a way for me to interact with the Facebook account for the gallery right. too, yeah. right? So that was they sort of, that was, there was the slippery slope <laughs> and down I flew. Um, uh, and because of my background uh, in, in academics, uh, in literature and in critical theory and in writing, um, I've always wanted to have that as part of my practice. Um, so some of it was was simply a, a personal thing, having a personal Facebook account to connect with people. And as my network as a professional artist grew, it was also a way to keep in touch with artists that I got to know across the country, right. which was great. Um, and then on my website, the blog became this sort of, and is this sort of repository for broader ideas. Sometimes I use it like a sketchbook where I can go back to ideas that I had six months or a year ago and go, oh yeah, right, I was, I had a good idea once, that's <laughs> excellent, now I can mine that idea that I haven't gotten to. Um, and to contextualize my work in, in a broader world, um, thinking about politics, because I'm a bit of a policy wonk and a politic, uh, political wonk, um, how things going on in the world around me are impacting my practice either on a practical level or on a on a philosophical level so it's moments where i can use that blog as 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 a way of just thinking out loud and hopefully having conversations with people too that i may not be able to uh speak with in yeah. person and that's part of what i wanted to ask you about because it seems to me that the internet allows all of us to go direct to our our potential audiences, whereas before, mm -hmm. um, an artist had to be mediated by uh, a gallery or a curator or academia or or some other way. Is it? What are the upsides and downsides of that direct access? Well, you know, this is this is the interesting thing. I think, particularly for visual artists, because we work in this in this in that particular way. Um, I think it opens up tremendous opportunities for artists to connect with other artists, to connect with completely different markets that they would never have had before. In, and yes, in a very direct way, um, 
direct sales, direct marketing, using social media to to get your work out there. Having said that, I think I think there are a lot of really great opportunities there for um, for net based ways of getting your work into the world. Having said that, I think it's still important to have personal connections with people. Mm. Um, Visual art is a way of communicating with the world. It is one way of communicating with the world. Um, Understanding, having a a one-on-one conversation with a visual artist about a work that's there that you're you're both standing in front of and hearing hearing the backstory or hearing the artist's take on that is something that cannot be replaced right. by virtual media. Mm-hmm. So there's you know there's upsides and downsides there. There's also um, some deeply disturbing trends with um, copyright infringement. Right. That we have to be super careful about. Um, and I mean, there have been so many stories, particularly for some reason, the last couple of years, it's really been on the radar um, where over and over again, uh, designers, visual artists, uh, people working in graphic media have had their, their works wholesale appropriated used by you know sometimes very very large corporations mm-hmm. and that's clear copyright infringement and you're in a situation where you're trying to you're trying to make your practice pay yeah it's not about getting rich believe me <laughs> um, but you'd like to be able to feed yourself on your practice ideally um, and when you have a, a, a large corporation with very well paid lawyers behind them just saying, thanks for your creativity. Thanks we'll for take creativity. That. <laughs> oh, by the way, yes, you're working for free, and no, we're not even going to tell you we're going to use that. We're going to use that design. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty scary. So there are. So that's sort of a that's sort of a, a a buyer beware thing that I think most most visual artists are now aware of. Um, and I also think there's some really exciting stuff happening in terms of internet-based art in contemporary practice. So taking work completely out of, or in many cases, out of the the white cube and the very traditional way of, of showing work and presenting work entirely online or connecting work in remote locations through virtual reality and having having those contemporary projects be interactive. Right. That's really exciting. There yeah. are some really interesting things going on. It's a rapidly changing, rapidly evolving landscape. So I think it's I think it's a, a tremendously useful tool. People have to remember it is a tool. Right. Don't spend all your time there. Well, it shouldn't be, a, <laughs> and it shouldn't, to, to my mind, okay, this is the, the world according to me, and I know there will be people who disagree with me, and that's fine. Um, but it shouldn't be the be-all and end-all. Technology is the, the whiz-bang-wow only lasts for so long. Right. How are you using it? How are you going to use technology to better say what you want to say? How, how can you use these new amazing tools really meaningfully um, 
And that, that takes some thought, takes some time, and takes some digging around and figuring stuff out. Excellent. Well, I have more questions about all of this and, and uh, visual artists Alberta, but first let's take a break uh, for a word from our sponsors. This episode of Seen and Heard in Edmonton is brought to you by ATB Financial, founding sponsor of the Alberta Podcast Network. We got together recently with some folks at ATB to welcome the first members of the podcast network, and it was so gratifying to hear their excitement about being part of this and their admiration for the podcasters in the room. I've been working with ATB on various projects for a long time, but I have to say I was still a little bit nervous heading into this gathering. We had some very high up people there, including Peggy Garrity, who's the Senior Vice President for Reputation and Brand. But she was so excited and so encouraging. She said, you have things to say and we can help you say them. It meant a lot to me and to the podcasters in the room. This is a big chance for ATB to take. Sponsoring a podcast network is definitely not your usual marketing practice for a financial institution, but they're willing to take this chance and they have been terrific partners. This podcast network happened because ATB listened and that's the mission. Find out more at atb.com slash listen. All right, we're back with Sydney Lancaster. So tell us what Visual Arts Alberta Carfac does. Okay, um, Visual Arts Alberta Carfac is the Alberta affiliate of Carfac National. And Carfac is an advocacy organization, uh, artists working for artists. Okay. And so what Carfac does is advocate on behalf of artists. Carfac was responsible, for example, for the establishment of uh, a copy royalty, copyright royalty fee schedule. Um, people often talk of um, exhibition fees right. that, that artists will receive in artist-run centers and public galleries. Those are actually copyright royalty payments. Oh, like, like so can for visual arts? Right. Basically, okay. that's exactly it. It's a recognition. That payment is recognition that when the work is on exhibition in a public gallery, an artist-run center, that kind of thing, it is, taken, is, it is effectively taken off the market for a period of time. It's oh. not available for sale. It's an opportunity so, cost ca- capture. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a fee to recognize that you've done a whole bunch of work here this is your copyright and we're holding this work that is your copyrighted work for a period of time. That took a lot of lobbying, a lot of advocacy, um, and a lot of effort uh, to, to get that, that fee schedule in place and get it recognized in legislation. It's part of, part of um, federal status of the artist legislation that those fees should be paid to artists when they're exhibiting in in, uh, in public okay. publicly funded galleries, yeah. so uh, uh, so Carfac does that kind of work. We're also actively um, advocating internationally and nationally for the artist resale right, um, which we don't have in Canada and and exists in I think roughly ninety other countries worldwide. And what the artist resale right does is entitle living artists to 5% of the resale of their work oh, at auction. Okay. Okay. So for example, you will have an artist whose 
work sold for $5,000 or something back in, in 1980. The collector who has it takes it to Sotheby's or Christie's or one of the other auction houses and sells it. The artist will receive not a dime from mm. that resale right now. And we all know that in that kind of market, an artist's work becomes more valuable over time. Right. So it seems a very small price to pay for the artist to receive a small percentage of that resale value. That's particularly important for First Nations artists, for Inuit artists. There's a huge international trade in their work and they're not benefiting from the resale right right now, whereas artists in many other countries around the world are. Mm. Um, and I mean, it benefits any living artist whose work winds up in that kind of market. This isn't about private sales between people. Right. Um, it is about that sort of established secondary market, the auction house kind of kind of market. So we're advocating for for that as well right. uh, on a national level. It would be about time for Canada to to have an artist resale right, so that living artists can benefit from the resale of their work. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we're working on that right now too. Yeah, good. So that's what goes on at a you know at a at a on a big picture national level, provincially. Visual Arts Alberta, CARFAC, is about providing professional development resources for artists wanting to professionalize their practice. Um, we offer assistance through uh, CARC, the Copyright Collective, and uh, Visual Arts Copyright Collective, and uh, and through CARFAC National for things like contract negotiation. We, you know, you can bring a contract down to our offices and we'll have a look at it nice. for you. If we can't answer the questions that you have, we can refer that to CARFAC National. Um, lots of things like that. Uh, it feels like there's a lot of um, professional development kind of on the, like the business side of art. Absolutely. Um, we offer uh, workshops on things like taxes for artists yeah. and how to, how to navigate all of that stuff how to approach a gallery, how to price your artwork, how to deal with records, record keeping and that kind of thing is very important for visual artists. Um, all kinds of things. Packing, we did, we did a great, we had a great uh, uh, professional development on uh, packing your artwork, how to yeah. pack it for shipping oh. so that it actually gets <laughs> to where it's supposed to be in one piece and, yeah. and how do you keep it safe and how do you keep it in one piece. Um, there's a whole range of things that we do. Uh, writing artist statements, grant writing workshops. We've got a couple of grant writing workshops coming up. Yeah, fairly important. quickly. One in uh, one in uh, Calgary and and one in Edmonton. Um, so there are all these different things that we can offer, and we have a, a wide range of artists in this province that we try our best to serve. Things you know from from young emerging artists who are just graduating to more senior artists who may need help with international shows and you know certificates of Canadian origin and all of this complicated stuff that comes with a more developed practice. So we try and find ways to reach as many artists as we can through our work and also to educate the community. Yeah. And it's an important thing because I think a lot of people have misconceptions about 
what an artist's life is like. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not lounging on the divan eating bonbons <laughs> and being very tortured. Um, it's, it's actually just a lot of hard work. Yeah, yeah. And you have to have a business sense and you have to, you know, it's that left brain, right brain thing. Um, you have to, you have to be organized. You have to be disciplined. You have to be working mm-hmm. in on your practice, but you also have to be working on the more business side of it. So you mentioned my blog and I've been very, very, very remiss on my blog <laughs> lately. I've been too busy to write and right. it drives me crazy yeah. because I need that yeah. personally, but it's also part of my job, Yeah, you know? So it's juggling, juggling all of those things. So it feels like um, one of the ways that you're both pr- um, extending um, the organization's ability to to give some professional development to artists, mm-hmm. but also to explain to the rest of us what you're up to is through Draw More Income, which is the podcast uh, that uh, Visual Arts Alberta Carfax started. So tell me the origin story of that. That is, yeah, I this is one of my favorite projects that we've we've undertaken over the last uh, few years. It's it's really exciting. Draw More Income um, came out of two things. One was programming that arose from uh, the Carfax National Conference a couple of years ago. The theme was draw more income. How do you make more money so that your practice is more sustainable? Mm-hmm. Um, and was also an, isu- an initiative of our advocacy director here provincially, Sarah McCarney, uh, and our communications guy down in Calgary, Graham Dearden. Shout out to both of them because they really spearheaded this and did a did a, a great job of getting it going. Um, the goal with with draw more income was to bring together a whole collection of voices as diverse as possible. Uh, so all kinds of artists at different stages of their practice talking about how they make a go of it, or if they make a go of it, right? Uh, and and ad- addressing the the issues that are that are common to visual arts practices. How do you juggle family and the need for income and the need to be in the studio and 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 um, and 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 what are some of the other challenges? For example, what happens if you're a visual artist and you wind up sick? Right. And you can't work and you can't work on your practice. If you're a full-time artist, you also don't have WCB or you don't and you or you don't have health insurance or what so there's lots of things that need to be talked about. Um so it's a way of of bringing together a a uh, a whole set of tips and tricks from artists doing making trying to make a go of it and hopefully people can take away not only a better understanding of what it is to live as an artist and work as an artist in this province, but also for for the visual artists listening, they can say, oh, hey, I'm facing that problem too. That's a way of dealing with it that I hadn't thought about before. Great, I'm going to take that information and I'm going to run with it. It's a way for us to bring these voices together to help the community at large and also to offer some tips on advocating on our own behalf. We had a, uh, an interview with uh, David Swan a while ago, and he gave us some really valuable ideas on 
what you need to do as an artist, an individual artist, or as an organization to bring your ideas and your thoughts and your concerns to your elected representatives. Right, because he's, he's the, 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 the one liberal MLA, and he's been in the legislature the, for a long time. The one liberal yeah. MLA. Yeah, and he's been around for a long time. He's a lovely person and and very, very practical and very giving of, of his expertise. So we found that really useful, too. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. I like it because I get ideas from it, even... I'm not a visual artist, but I'm a, like an independent media maker, and I right. think that just the you know, if nothing else, the reminder that you got to look after the the dollars and cents in addition to the creativity side of your, what you're doing is the more times that goes out in the universe, the better. The better, and and yes, absolutely, and the recognition that art is work. Mm-hmm. You know, people say, oh, you shouldn't expect to be paid for it because you love it. You love what you do. Well, does that mean that you only get paid for a job that you hate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's like, I hope not. Yeah. I sincerely hope not. Yeah. Um, but, you know, sort of breaking down some of that and saying, well, you know, maybe your plumber really loves being a plumber, but does your plumber work for exposure? No. No. <laughs> your plumber gets paid. Yeah. Your doctor gets paid. Um so it's uh, some of that some of that is 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 in there too i also think the neat thing about podcasting and it's something that i fully admit is is a newer thing on my horizon personally um the thing i really love about it is that it's a tremendously flexible medium that allows the listener to engage on their own terms and that's super important for large sections of our audience if you're a young visual artist with a young family also working a full-time job, you might not have time to make it to a PD yeah. event or to our office to ask a question. Yeah. But you might be able to slap on a pair of headphones and listen to part of a podcast now and then. While you watch, wash the dishes. While you wash the dishes. Sweep and to, up you know, the studio or whatever. Right, yeah. right, exactly. <laughs> So it was a very active way for us to to flip that scenario and say, no, we need to come to you. Instead of you coming to us, we need to come to you. And this is a great way to do that because the podcast is downloadable. You can get it for Android. You can get it on iTunes. So you can you can even listen to it offline if you're not if you're not always if you don't always have an internet connection, yeah. and that's important for remoter communities. Right, right. Um, so it's that kind of thing. As a side note, the neat thing about the podcast is that it has helped us present a range of Alberta voices to the rest of the country. Right. Um, and I, I think we're the best kept secret in a lot of ways. We have tremendous talent in this province and really thoughtful interesting people making work here and so it's kind of nice to give those people a platform to talk about what they do and how they do it and yeah. uh and that's kind of nice and that's getting that's getting some people some notice which is which is really good um so we'll try to to not keep that uh secret any longer <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take another break and when we come back we'll hear about local independent media that sydney recommends 
This episode of Seen and Heard in Edmonton is brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. We have 10 terrific podcasts in the network already. This one is already in it. You already know about that, but let me tell you about the rest of them. Bollywood is for Lovers explores the wonderful world of Hindi cinema through the lens of two Canadian film fans. We've also got a couple of politics podcasts. The Broadcast is a podcast about women and politics. And High Level Showdown is a discussion of local, provincial, national, and international politics. Don't Call Me a Guru is an entertaining discussion of social media strategy. Modern Manhood is a podcast about understanding and examining what it is to be a man in the modern world. Northern Nerdcast is a podcast showcasing the nerdy and geeky people and events in and around Edmonton. And That's So Maven is a podcast by, for, and about female entrepreneurs and leaders. Oh, and we finally also have a couple of great soccer podcasts. Loyal Company of the River Valley offers a fan's eye view on FC Edmonton and Canadian men's soccer. And For Kicks celebrates the Canadian women's national soccer team. You can find all of them at albertapodcastnetwork.com. All right, so Sydney, tell me, let's plug some local podcaster blogs. What do you like? Okay, um, I as I said earlier, my my podcast experience is is a little newer, and I have to absolutely shout out to Taproot Edmonton and Seen and Heard Yeg because you have opened that door for me in a very literal way. It's like oh, there's all this amazing stuff out here. <laughs> there aren't enough hours. Okay, if I don't sleep, I can listen to all these podcasts. <laughs> So I'm slowly starting to take in some of this um, in bits and pieces. Um, I am a policy wonk. I'm a bit of a politics wonk. And I really am heavy duty into heritage. I love the stories of this city. And I, I have been in this city most of my life. And my dad came here as an immigrant um, as a kid. and And... I grew up hearing about what Jasper Avenue looked like in the early 20th century. And so there's all of that runs through my head. So in terms of podcasts, um, there are a few things that I I pulled out that I am really excited about and I'm just starting to explore. Uh, High Level Showdown. Right. Love those guys. Lots of range, really good range of of ideas and subjects and, and, and some good thoughtful work there. I really like that uh, Elliot and Michael, the founders of High Level Showdown, mm-hmm. have now brought on Sharon Movendura for yes. a, a, another perspective, and I'm really looking forward to I their interaction. Yeah, and I think that's important, and the and the openness to other perspectives, I think, is really great and, and very important there. Mm-hmm. Um, the broadcast and modern manhood, nice. there's a nice little twin right yeah, there. Like yeah. those two, I, 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 and I like going back and forth between the between the two of them. I'm also really excited because I am public transit girl. I don't drive. Oh. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm one of three Albertans that don't <laughs> drive. Um, but I don't. Uh, I never have. I've, al- I've always lived in the city. I don't need to drive. Uh, so I walk everywhere or take public transit. So things like the Yank Bike Grid and Walkability, Paths for People, those organizations really interest me. Mm-hmm. Um, urban planning at that level, on the human level, is really important to me. So I'm quite excited by uh, uh, Tim Querengesser's uh, walkcast yeah. that he's launching and just starting to. I haven't actually had a chance to listen to the first one, but I'm so stoked about it. It's really and good. I, I yeah. really hope his, his crowdfunding on Patreon 
uh, takes off. I think that that would. I think it's great. We need to be talking about those issues around walkability, and it's not just the urban core; it's the suburbs. It's everywhere in a city. So that's in terms of podcasts, um, blogs. Oh boy, Lost Yeg. Yeah. Uh, Jaron Williams, Lost Yeg, love it. Yeg Uncovered, Esther Malzahn's um, take on finding interesting and 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 discoverable places in the city. Vintage Edmonton. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good job, Rev Recluse. And oh yeah. Us daily, like yeah. giving us a little time machine. Yeah. It's yeah, it, and it's amazing to mm-hmm. see those overlays of the city. It's really, it's. I think that's important. We need to understand that even though this province is young and this city is young, we do have a history and it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very diverse and we have to recognize all the different overlays of memory and tradition and history here. Yeah. This has been a meeting ground for thousands of years. So there are all these layers of, of, of discourse and all these, all these stories layered one on top of another. So it's a nice way of sort of starting to tease that apart. Um, Anna Marie Sewell's Prairie Poems. Mm-hmm. Dear to, dear to my heart. Her writing is beautiful, lyrical, sometimes heartbreaking yeah. and sometimes incredibly funny. Yes. Um, and I, I really like her work a lot. And full disclosure, Anna Marie Sewell and I took... I think it was both, for both of us, I think it was our first creative writing class ever. Really? Uh, at the U of A together, way wow. back in the 80s. Wow. So, and of course she ran with it and she's got like a world she's of talent. Former she's a poet laureate. Poet laureate and all kinds of things. Yeah, kinds yeah. Of things. Um, other things I'm excited to see, uh, Radical Citizen Media, some mm-hmm. interesting stuff there. Mm-hmm. Uh, 12th Night. Yeah. This is Fun Liz stuff there. New, uh, foray yeah, and good for her. Covering theater. Yeah, no yeah. yeah. <laughs> Only here for the food. Ah, Sharon Yo. Because oh yes, food. <laughs> and we have such a great food community here now. It's fantastic. Walkable Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Master Mac. Mm-hmm. I think Master Mac's great too. And you know, I already said it once, but I'll say it again. Taproot Edmonton and Seen and Heard Yeg. Yeah, you know, you got you're doing good stuff. Thank you so much. You, you have no idea how how much that kind of encouragement fuels. Well, you do because you're an artist and you're fueled partly by encouragement as well, right? <laughs> it, it, it helps every once in a while to, you know, sort of crawl out from under your rock and go and have somebody say, you know, I really like that. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So, like, so yeah. <laughs> I like to pass that on when I can. Uh, now you're going to hit the road this summer and I understand you're going to have your recorder with you. So what, what do you have in mind? Well, one of the things I thought would be an interesting thing to do, I'm going to be, I'm going to be out in um, Nova Scotia for a bit, which is really exciting because I'm going to be working on a, on a project out there that is dealing with the tides on the Bay of Fundy. Oh, wow. And I'm working with uh, Scott Smallwood, who is a local uh, sound artist and composer here for that but while I'm out there, there are some artists that I know in the Maritimes. And so I wanted to um, arm wrestle them into giving me some interviews about what it's like for them in the Maritimes. Making work, trying to make a go of it as professional visual artists and how, so we can look at how 
things are different in different regions of the country. And I think that's important to recognize too. Mm-hmm. Um, because we tend to sort of see it, I think we see our particular profession quite regionalized in a lot of ways. And so it's important to understand not only the differences between regions in professional practice, but also the similarities. Right. And I think there is a tendency to say, oh, you know, Alberta, the land of milk and honey, where, you know, there's a lot of money all the time and you guys have it easy. And it's, well, no. Yeah. We do have... That being said, we do have some some great opportunities here and we have some great um, uh, grant opportunities that other regions of the country don't have. Mm. But that's a very, very competitive market. And it's get, the market is getting bigger. The demand is getting higher. The, the money is not. Right. So there are starting, you know, there are, there are things that are important to understand in looking at other regions. And, and talking about different ways that people make a go of it, I think will be really interesting. So I'm hoping that I can gather some stories to bring back to Alberta or fi- and, and also find some maritime artists that have connections to, to the province. Oh, I bet there's lots, and, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and talk about what that's like too. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to listen. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me today. That was fascinating. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. It's really and it's really nice to finally meet you in person. I know it's been virtual till now. Yeah. So this is great. Yeah. <laughs> you can subscribe to Draw More Income in Apple Podcasts and uh, it's on Android and lots of different places where podcasts right. are accessible. And you can also find the vi- the episodes at visualartsalberta.com/podcasts. Sydney's site is at Sydney Lancaster. That's S Y D N E Y Lancaster.com. And you can find her on Twitter at I and Hand. All these links and the amazing, wonderful, beautiful recommendations will be in the show notes at seenandherdieg.com. Subscribe to my newsletter at seenandherdieg.com for complete coverage of Edmonton's blogs and podcasts. And visit AlbertaPodcastNetwork.com to sign up for updates on the network we're building powered by ATB. Many thanks to Castria for helping me produce this podcast, and you can find out how they can help you at wearecastria.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.